Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top of mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Hello, I am Terry Adamson of BDO, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with Robin Farrakhan to discuss the expanding landscape and responsibilities for compensation committees heading into 2021 and beyond. Robin is founder and CEO of Farian's Advisor, executive compensation and performance advisory firm. With over 30 years of consulting experience, Robin advises clients in areas of business and talent strategies, executive compensation, organization, value management, and performance measurement. Robin currently serves on the board of directors of Trupanion, where she is chair of the compensation committee. In addition, Robin is on the boards of Wild Aid and 2020 Women-Owned Boards, both nonprofit organizations. She is a member of NACD and Women Corporate Directors, for 10 years, Robin has been named the NACD Directorship 100, a list of the most influential people in corporate governance and the boardroom. On a personal level, one of the first books that I read as I entered the executive compensation space was written by Robin, Fair Pay, Fair Play, Aligning Executive Performance and Pay. In fact, I made several of my staff read the book. I've had the great fortune to work with Robin on mutual clients and have been wowed by the human element she brings to deeply quantitative issues. Robin, thank you for being here. Thank you, Terry. It's great to be here. Really appreciate it. So, Robin, one of the things I've heard is a lot about the expanded role of the Compensation Committee, and that many are changing the names to reflect their expanded role. What are some of the new creative names you're seeing? Well, Terry, your imagination is the limit here. Um, we did a, uh, a study of what names were out there among comp committees these days and found over 100 among large publicly traded companies, 100 different names. Uh, but some of the names, uh, an, old, an oldie but goodie is the Human Resources Committee. Uh, but some of the other names that we're seeing pop up are Compensation and Human Capital Committee, the Talent Management and Compensation Committee, and the Organization and Compensation Committee. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, it's interesting, at Trepanion, we also had the discussion about whether to change the name of the Compensation Committee. And uh, the board decided that they really didn't want to imply that broader issues of human capital was just the domain of the compensation committee. So they chose to leave the compensation committee name alone and, uh, and, and with the idea that the full board would continue to own, if you would, the human capital issues. Interesting. Nonetheless, though, there, there's no doubt the compensation committee is dealing with a lot more than just compensation nowadays. So you've brought up Trupanion, and I'm really curious uh, about Trupanion. As you know, Robin, my wife is a veterinarian. We rely on Trupanion uh, in, in our house full of pets. But I love hearing more about the human capital orientation and the culture at Trupanion. Would you share some? Yes. Thanks, Terry, for asking. Uh, Trupanion has a very distinctive culture. We're a medical insurance company for, quote unquote, for the life of your pet. And uh, our company is about 500 million in sales, about a 4 billion market capitalization these days, and went public about five years ago. So it's been a very interesting, um, interesting journey. And uh, 
the founder, Daryl Rawlings, still runs the company. He's the CEO of the company, and he has a very distinctive way of doing things, which has served the company extremely well. Uh, I noticed this when I first showed up at corporate headquarters when I was interviewing for the board role and uh, noticed a sign on the wall that was a quote from Oscar Wilde, and it said, be yourself, everyone else is taken. And <laughs> you walk around the, uh, the company, you can see that uh, there's a lot of uniqueness there. Um, people look different, they dress the way they wanna dress, but uh, it's really interesting. 300 cats and dogs come to work every day with their owners. And uh, that was pre-COVID, of course. Uh, we're not coming to work as much as much these days, but um, pre-COVID, 300 cats and dogs at work. Um, in addition, the company spent a lot of time thinking about its human capital philosophy and culture, and it's very egalitarian. Um, and one of the hay philosophy concepts is, and I'm just gonna quote um, one, of the, one of the precepts, it says, we strive to avoid paying based on rank. Team members can earn more than their manager or anyone else based on value creation. So it's very much of a, of a meritocracy at the organization, and they, they live that. Um, they're very innovative. One of the biggest areas of innovation that we did is we actually put software uh, into, the, into vet offices so that the, uh, the, uh, the insurance claims can get paid in five seconds or less. And it shows up on your phone and says this claim has been paid. And so it's value to the veterinarians, it's value to the, to the, um, the, the customers that we have as an example. Um, about 70% of our roles now at, at the managerial level are held by women. And um, there's a very strong ethic of employee well-being at the company. We have a daycare center on, on site, for example. Uh, we offer five-week sabbaticals um, every, for every five years of employment. And uh, we give everyone in the company shares. And we've been doing that since the company was founded in the year 2000. And now we're, we're over 1,100 employees and are still doing it today. So those are just some of the, um, the examples and how, it, and how the uniqueness of the company uh, stretches into the human capital realm. Oh, that's amazing that you're so focused on employee ownership. It's rare that you see companies as, you know, as they get age into their life cycle to continue to grant equity throughout the entire organization. Fantastic. And kudos to you all. You're living, you're living the, uh, what you do professionally, but you're living it as a compensation consultant. You're living it on the compensation committee at Chupanion. Congratulations. Uh, absolutely. Thanks, Terry. That's awesome, Robin. I have a bit of a long-winded question moving forward here, and it really has to do with something I've been thinking about over the last year, and that's the, the new definition of a corporation that was laid out by the Business Roundtable last year. In, in that, it expanded the list of stakeholders from the employee and the investor to also include customers, suppliers, and the community. And in my head, you know, I had generally thought of when the, on the rewards equation, three stakeholders, so that's the employee, the investor, and the company. So realistically, I feel like it expanded the company as a stakeholder into customers, and the community. So this concept of stakeholders is new, and I'd, I'd be really curious, how do you think about them in the context of a compensation committee? Yeah, so, um, yeah, thanks for that. And the, the, the issue of um, business roundtable is business with a purpose, right? And the idea is that uh, corporations can be socially conscious and profitable all at the same time, which I think uh, is an idea that's valuable. 
interestingly, that idea has been around for a while, but it's kind of ebbed and flowed in terms of its popularity. And as I think about investors today, you know, one would like to say, you know, they're very altruistic, but I don't think that's what's motivating them. They basically, uh, in talking to investors, they basically say that, look, if a company is, uh, you know, terrific to its core, and that means it's doing all the right things right for the right reasons, um, and, and it's got a really good core, then uh, that company has a higher probability of generating cash flows over a longer period of time. So it's a more sustainable organization, and that's going to enhance the value of, of the organization. Put it another way, it'll increase the stock price. So I feel as though this is um, teed up to be a win-win and um, is, is, ve- is very much something that is top of mind with uh, companies today. So if we think about stakeholders, one of the things boards need to do is think about how they are going to oversee the interests of all stakeholders. There's, they definitely have um, a, a, a duty to, uh, to oversee the interest of shareholders. They're working on behalf of the shareholders, which is one key stakeholder. But if the other stakeholders, if, if you have health in those areas and those other stakeholders, the health of those stakeholders uh, has an impact on how well the shareholders fare and vice versa, then they're their responsibility is to is to oversee the interest of those other stakeholders as well. So at at Trepanion, it's kind of interesting. We look at uh, six stakeholders, the investors being one, but we also have five others: pets being one, uh, pet owners, our veterinarians, and the veterinarians tend to refer business to the owners, the pet owners, um, our team members, our employees, and uh, our strategic partners, people who we have business dealings with. And so all of those stakeholders are um, constituencies that we watch out for. Uh, And the question is, how does the board do that? Well, for the most part, the whole board is looking after all those stakeholders. But I would say that the compensation committee is doing double duty in terms of looking after the employees as stakeholder or team members, as we call them. So um, each company has to, again, figure out where the home is for the responsibility for overseeing the the, the stakeholders, um, for overseeing them where that home is in the organization. So it could be the NOM and Gov Committee, it could be in the Comp Committee, it could be at the full board level. And just um, one one other thing, um, that then also ripples into incentives. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. But um, as we think about our team members, we think about employee engagement. the, the well-being of the employee population, uh, the retention of them, how they're managed from a performance management standpoint, and how they're compensated. Completely agree. That's one of the big challenges. And how do you take these these stakeholders, and then how do you come up with accurate and objective measurements to put into incentives? I'd be curious. I mean, I love the fact that you you define these six stakeholders. That's fantastic. But then, how do you measure them into your incentives? Yeah. So. Um, we uh, at Farian have just done a very significant global study on uh, how many companies and how they incorporate stakeholder measures into their incentive plans. And so we've got a lot on this. Uh, just talking about Trupanion for, for a second, one of our big measures is a customer measure. And we think about stakeholders, as you put it, it's broader than it used to be. It can be um, customers, employees, the environment, uh, governance and and uh, the communities in which we live and work. So all those things 
can qualify as stakeholder constituencies. And what Trepanion does is we measure something we call nirvana, and it's really a customer measure. So we're looking at the attrition of our customers. It's very important for us to retain customers and to what extent that attrition is made up by people who refer us business or people who add a pet to their policies. And Nirvana is 100%. It's that if we uh, keep as many customers by adding them through referring through referrals and through adding a pet um, as we lose, then we start with a much better platform and we can grow much faster than if we uh, are losing customers at a faster rate. So it's an extremely, extremely important measure that we manage and it's in our incentive plan. People get compensated for whether or not they hit Nirvana. Um, and I think the, the measures are very individualized. Each company has to answer for itself uh, what measures it's gonna use depending upon the kind of company. Uh, and in our study, we found a big divergence of which companies are using stakeholder incentives that are incentive plans and which aren't. So it's probably not surprising that companies like utilities which are very socially minded, very safety minded, they are using stakeholder incentives the most. Um, utilities have a 90, globally have a 91% prevalence of using stakeholder um, measures in their incentive plans. And consumer discretionary companies are using stakeholder measures the least. So these are companies like apparel companies and, and things of this nature, and their prevalence is 40%. So there's a very, very wide divergence between between the two, uh, and it's very individualized. The, the other thing is there's a lot of divergence by region. We looked at six regions around the globe. Um, Australia kind of leads the regions. 81% of large companies in Australia tend to use stakeholder incentives, and only 56% of companies in the US, we, we by the way, lag all the other regions, um, use stakeholder incentives. So. Again, it's, a, it's an individual company decision, but I think it's important and it's really uh, growing in terms of the, um, the prominence that it's taking in, 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 in incentive design. Yeah, it's fascinating, Robin. I'm glad you brought up the kind of global prevalence that you're seeing. It certainly feels like, at least in the United States, we're not as, ma not as mature when it comes to incentives as some of the countries globally. Do you anticipate that we will evolve to where Australia is and let's say Europe is? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know that we'll go that far because the um, US and do it, we did a lot of interviews, we supplemented the, the data with a lot of interviews and uh, people really feel as though it's a big choice point as to whether to put stakeholder incentives in. Certainly uh, most, compensation or human resources committees, whatever we, we want to call them, um, they're considering it these days if they don't have it. But whether they put it in or not is, is a choice point. And, I, and I'll give you an example. We have uh, one client that is extremely environmentally oriented and they're, they're also very socially oriented. So they're, they're, they're walking the talk in terms of looking after stakeholder interests, but they really don't want to complicate their incentive programs by adding stakeholder measures to the incentive programs. And the directors actually feel as though if they actually do put stakeholder measures into those plans, they run the risk of narrowing the focus around stakeholder uh, well-being and stakeholder, um, stakeholder um, oversight. So they, they think there could be a, a negative um, aspect to putting stakeholder incentives into programs. So I think, I think the United States will grow 
in, uh, in, in North America will grow in its incidence of using stakeholder measures, but I'm not sure it'll catch up to Australia. Kind of moving on, you know, Robin, you bring such a fantastic perspective on this, being that you are a chair of a compensation committee and you are also a professional advisor to companies on these issues. Kind of moving ahead, what do you see as the, the board's role, the comp committee's role in overseeing employee well-being? Specifically speaking, what ways are companies turning their attention to DEI and diversity, equity, and inclusion? So, as I mentioned earlier, I think uh, boards overall are taking an interest in in stakeholder, um, you know, stakeholder well-being, and the employees are certainly a big part of that. Um, and I think the comp committee does double duty in terms of looking after that. And we have seen more and more compensation committees as they've changed their name also changing their charters, their agendas, how they resource themselves, et cetera, to oversee the social aspects uh, and, and the employee aspects of, um, of, of stakeholder interests. Um, a big part of that, and, and I think COVID kind of hastened this and uh, this year in 2020, and some of the social and economic issues also hastened it, we're seeing uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, as you mentioned it, uh, be one of the areas that committees are focused on um, most significantly. And uh, just, to, just to level set a little bit here, um, DEI is a very big area. It actually includes lots of things because diversity, equity, inclusion are all different. So by diversity, it's just, you know, it's the statistics. It's, it's um, you know, how many different interests, gender, skills, backgrounds, thought processes do we have in the company that the company can take advantage of. Um, equity simply means fair treatment. It can mean fair treatment in terms of pay, promotions, um, you know, uh, rate performance ratings, uh, anything that talks about how people are treated at a company. And inclusion is really around how people feel. Uh, do people feel as though they're included? Do they feel as though they're valued? Uh, does the culture provide opportunities for everybody to make a contribution? So each thing means something different. Uh, and as compensation or human resources committees take on the oversight of DEI, they are really, um, this, this is adding a very significant um, agenda item uh, to, to their calendar. Um, and first of all, they have to kind of get a baseline and measure how the company is doing on diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, and once they get that baseline, then where there are gaps, they have to figure out what to do about those gaps. Uh, and they have to do it at a very systemic level so that those gaps don't come back into the system. And, you know, if you just kind of, if you have a pay equity gap and you cure that, if you don't address the root causes, that pay equity gap will come right into the system again. So it's a big job to answer your question. <laughs> it's a huge job. Um, you know, I'd be really curious to know how you are, not only you and Trupanion, but how other companies are attacking each of those issues. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, first of all, as I mentioned a little bit a minute ago, the comp committees and HR committees are actually resourcing themselves differently. And uh, best practices are they're educating themselves on the issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, and and they're educating those through the company resources, but also through a lot of background material, um, reading books, going to seminars like this one, and so on, that really um, 
re really give people a sense of where the issues are and how companies are attacking those. Um, so the resourcing is a big deal and making room for it. And the best committees are actually holding education sessions around DEI so that everybody on the committee gets a much better understanding of what those issues are. Secondly, once they are getting a baseline as to how the company's doing on diversity, equity, inclusion, they're then trying to say, how do we attack the root causes? What's causing the gaps? And we have um, one client, for example, that's actually tracing their entire applicant tracking system for purposes of recruiting people. So they're starting at the very beginning and they're saying, as we recruit in people and, and have a slate, a funnel of candidates to look at, is this a diverse funnel? As we start to narrow that funnel and do it and, and select people to do interviews, is it still a diverse slate? As we then do the interviews and people emerge as potential candidates to take a certain job, does it remain a diverse slate? As we give offers, does it remain a diverse slate? And as people come into the company, accept those offers, come into the company and perform, is it still diverse? And so they're having to break down every part of the um, of the system to try to get out what's going on with and what's going wrong um, in, in these areas. Um, we also, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of other things. I mean, you could put, we, we mentioned a little bit earlier about um, taking various elements of areas for improvement uh, in, in DEI and putting those into the incentive system. So for example, one client that, that names three, three different measures and uh, definitely features DEI as something that the company has to improve on. And the measures are the number of diverse succession planning candidates, the percentage of diverse professional hires, and improvement in the diversity and inclusion climate survey. And so these are the three things that they have to perform on if they're going to get a piece of their incentive. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. And then we see a lot of companies, Trupanion being one of those, who are actually setting up a, a person who heads up and leads the whole DEI initiative. And so companies much more are, are putting those resources into their companies. And then we see those resources actually coming to the board meetings and coming to the HR committee meetings uh, to give presentations. So they're, it's a very, they're very visible roles and very important roles for the board. So I'd be curious, Robin, you brought up, uh, you know, both in Trupanion and other clients, companies that are using DEI in incentives you know, we speak about incentives really broadly, and truthfully, there's both short-term incentives and long-term incentives. I'd be very curious, you know, if you have an opinion, thoughts on where a metric around DEI ought to be, if in short-term or in long-term. So um, that is a is a really great area to explore because one of the things we saw from our global study is that all kinds of stakeholder measures are more prevalent in short-term incentive plans than in long-term incentive plans. So if a company's gonna start measuring any kind of stakeholder uh, success, the short-term plan is a, uh, is, a, is, a, is a place to where they can start. Um, however, we're starting to see, at least in certain kind of measures, like environmental measures, more stakeholder measures creep into long-term incentive plans. So this is just starting to happen. We're seeing it most in, in certain industries like utilities. And so I think there's a role for uh, stakeholder measures in long-term plans. And some of these goals are multi-year goals. They, they, they can't actually be done in one year. 
So for example, it's going to be carbon neutral. That's sometimes a 10-year journey. could be a 20-year journey. Um, I think most DEI measures, just to answer your question directly, Terry, are more in the short-term plans because I think there's a real urgency around it. And people are saying, what are the steps? We're, we're probably not going to cure this problem overnight if we have a DEI problem. Uh, it's going to be a multi-year journey, but we really need to make sure that people are focused on making improvements wherever we can identify where those should be in the short term and, and, um, and, and really walking the talk around those. I 100% agree with you, Rob. And, you know, I, I do feel like a lot of these measures are in, in the short-term incentive program, which is great. And, and I loved how you described it as being an urgency to some of them. I love that. Um, but it, it also seems like some of these issues are long-term cultural transformations that companies need to make. And so they may fit better in LTI. That being said, LTI, it's really important to keep fixed measurements and have an objective way of measuring it, which doesn't always lend itself. Some of these data systems for um, you know, environment, some of these scoring systems for governance, they're, they're not quite as mature as maybe where we need to be for a true LTI program. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, you know, we really do have to walk before we run on these things, and we're, and we're in a pretty nascent stage around uh, just getting started with stakeholder measures and incentives. And so people are having enough challenges setting short-term goals. And then if you try to set longer-term goals, uh, the challenges multiply uh, because too much is unknown. So my view is you got to start somewhere, take some baby steps, start in the short-term plan. Um, think about where you as a company need to improve and focus on those things. Uh, and then as the whole area of stakeholder uh, stakeholder measures develops and matures, we may have some good external benchmarks. We may have some good baseline measures that we can uh, improve from. And so that might be the time to think about the longer term trends, but I think in the short term, um, in the early stages, uh, we're, we're probably looking at stakeholder measures in short-term plans. One of the things that you brought up around DEI, I'm gonna bring us back to was equity, the E there. Um, this is something that I think is, is really interesting over the last couple of years. Um, and, and definitely on the compensation side, you know, when I think of equity, I think there's a few different ways to think about it. One way is equity of pay from, let's say, the CEO versus the rank and file. Another way to think about it is gender pay equity. Another way to think about it is any pay gaps with any uh, minority groups. Um, how do you think the comp committee will be focusing on pay equity in, with all of these issues going forward? So it's that that's also uh, a, a, a very deep area because we talked about how diver, diversity, equity, and inclusion is very broad. And then what you've just done is take the middle name there, equity, and said, well, that's very broad. And it is. And so the more you unpeel the onion and unpeel the layers, uh, the more we, we see how deep these issues are. So let's just take that. On, on pay ratio, that's something that's statutorily required for publicly traded companies, and it's the ratio between the CEO and the median worker compensation. And the theory of the case is if that ratio is too high, then uh, the, the organization is probably not egalitarian enough. And I think that's a big leap because every single company has a very different business model, operates in very different areas of the world, 
And so drawing a lot of conclusions from the pay ratio is probably not a, not a great place to, um, to focus. And we find most of our clients aren't focusing there. Um, Trupanion is a little unique. I'm just going to talk about that for a second. Um, in our philosophy, and this goes back to the very first discussion we had when we started this conversation, is this company is unique. Um, it, we, I, and I quote, it says, we care about CEO pay being reasonable compared to the median pay of our team members, while recognizing each role should be compensated based on value contribution. So we have it right in our values that we care about the CEO pay ratio. And we're going to look at that as a way to determine you know, whether we're living our values. But that's unusual. And most of the time, what we're talking about is, um, is, is pay equity and pay gaps. And there are two different things meant by that. Pay equity is equal pay for equal work. So if I'm comparing the same people that maybe have a different ethnicity or different gender uh, doing the same jobs for the same experience and performance level, am I paying them equally? So that's that's one standard. Uh, the second standard is, is a tougher standard, and it's one that's used in Europe, um, which is regardless of what jobs people are doing, am I paying men and women the same? Am I paying different ethnicities the same? And so if you haven't promoted enough women, let's say, if we're looking at gender, um, into senior positions, then I'm not going to get much parity. And I'm going to have um, a, a, a gap there, a wage gap uh, between men and women. So that one's that one's a lot harder for companies to attack because it it hits not just whether you're paying equal for equal work, but whether you're promoting people, whether you're rating them, you know, on an equitable basis or not. And and those tend to be um, much much more intricate problems to attack. We've brought up a lot of issues here. We've been talking about a lot. You know, to kind of close some of our conversation. You know, 2020 was a pretty volatile year. As we move into 2021, what are some of your thoughts about human capital or compensation practices going forward? So, yes, maybe it's an understatement to say 2020 was volatile. It, it was a roller coaster, right? It was a huge ride. And I think we're going to see the effects of it because we've learned a lot. You know, the, 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 the good news here is we've learned something from kind of going through uh, the, the 2020 roller coaster ride. Um, one is just how companies go to work. And a lot of companies are rethinking, you know, do we want a hybrid model, for example, on a permanent basis? Do we want some people to work part-time in the office and part-time at home, bring people in only on certain days or for certain kinds of occasions or meetings or whatever? And so um, I think companies are taking a step back and looking much more deeply at what uh, human capital model they, they want to pursue. Uh, they're also looking at, at all other aspects of the workforce. So, you know, how do we equip our people with technology? How do we make sure everybody has, you know, an equal opportunity to show up in the right way, um, given the changes in work and given the different situations at home uh, and those kind of things? So they're really thinking uh, deeply about that. Uh, and as we think more specifically about incentives, I think we're going to see more of what we've been talking about. There's a new and renewed awareness around uh, how stakeholders, broadly speaking, are faring, and uh, it sure, which doesn't take away from the focus on shareholders. It adds to it, and so companies are thinking about, you know, should we put stakeholder measures into our incentives? Should we, should we weight them more, more heavily? Uh, how, you know, what measures should we use? And I think uh, comp and HR committees are really 
I'm going to continue to focus on that. And, a, and an issue you brought up is not to assume just because a lot of people put them in the short-term plan that that's just what we should do too. It's should we put them in the long-term plan? So I think there's there's a lot of questions on the table and a lot of things to think about there. Um, so I, I feel as though, you know, this is a really important area. And the one other thing I would say is one of the things we found in our research, and I think we've been seeing it, is corporations are leading the charge on this. Um, you, you mentioned it earlier on the business roundtable letter, but we also see pressure from incentives. And uh, one of the investors that we um, that we interviewed, Jeff Ubbin, who's the founder of Inclusive Capital, who uh, is, is really investments with a social conscious, says companies don't include stakeholder issues for their mission mission goals and their incentive plans uh, if they don't include the if they don't include stakeholder issues in their mission goals and incentive plans they're just grading their own report cards so he's essentially saying look we as investors are really going to hold um, companies accountable for keeping the stakeholder ecosystem healthy um, so that the shareholder can stay healthy and vice versa so I, I feel like um, this has gotten a, a kind of a 360 degree view on it that it hadn't had in the past. No doubt, Robin. You know, I think, um, it, do you have any last thoughts coming in to, to close this out and otherwise I'll uh, wrap this up? Well, I, I just feel as though um, one of the things that we've seen is that um, the whole issue of human capital and stakeholder interests have, have permeated everything. They've permeated corporate strategies. They've permeated capital allocation, um, how things get measured, whether they're in the incentive system or not, but also how people get compensated and, and rewarded and managed. And so what we've talked about here, Terry, is um, a very, very significant and far-reaching trends. And so as I think about that list, um, I, I think we're, we've created a path. We're making we're making some progress, but there's still a heck of a lot of work ahead to do. I love it, Robin. I look forward to kind of watching you on this journey. Um, it's been terrific having you today. Your insights have uh, brought some clarity to me. Thank you. And hopefully you'll come back and share more thoughts with our audience in the future. It would be my pleasure. Thanks so much, Terry. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash BDO Knows Governance.